Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Coming up on this episode of the Money Night Podcast, going to be a difficult conversation, but one that we've talked about here before and one that Wade works with his clients on quite a bit, but that's losing a spouse. It's obviously a very incredibly tough and difficult life event, and the financial implications add another completely different level to it, especially while you're going through the grieving process. So we're going to talk about some of the most common financial issues faced by widows and widowers, the income gap, the tax filing, and a little bit more beyond that as well, plus the importance of life insurance and and how to take care of not only your spouse, but also those important to you like your kids and your grandkids as well. So that's all coming up. Stay tuned here on the Money Night Podcast. It's time for the Money Night Podcast with certified financial planner, Wade Chessman, president and wealth advisor at Chessman Wealth Strategies. Well, glad to have you back on the show. I am Ben George. He is Wade Chessman. And Wade, I know this is, is something we've, we've covered uh, on, on multiple episodes, I think. So I encourage everybody to go back and, and to listen to different angles we've taken on this conversation. But again, uh, such an important part of the planning process, not one that we want to really think about and, and probably tough to kind of di- dive into this and think forward and plan for this, but it's something you have to do, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And we've talked about this subject, I think on a number of times and different angles, like you mentioned, but I don't think it's um, one that you can really talk about too much just because it's something that's going to happen to most everyone. And like you mentioned in your intro, it's a it can be a difficult time. So we're just going to come at it from time to time from different angles and give some, hopefully some good advice that people can take away and, and use. Yep. And if you haven't joined us before, if you want to follow up afterwards and, and get in touch with Wade, he is president and wealth advisor of Chessman Wealth Strategies there in Dallas, but he serves clients nationwide. You can find him online, chessmanwealth.com. You can also give him a call at 214-572-2120. And while you're on the website too, there is a section for widows. Uh, so yep. Some things to be thinking about, some resources and, and tools there as well, right? Yeah, get some good articles, good resources. Yeah, definitely check that out. All right. We also have our Kingdom Minute coming up in just a little bit, so stay tuned for that. But let's talk about this this issue of, of navigating your finances after you lose a spouse. And I know you, again, if you worked with multiple people that have in this position, and probably some that not only were clients before it happened, but came in afterwards, and they kind of realized, hey, now I'm in charge of the finances. Now I've got to take control. Let me go sit down with someone because I'm not really sure what I'm doing here, need help. And when that happens, Wade, what are some of the problems that you see for people in this position? Yeah. And what I wanted to focus on today really is um, some income situations. You know, there's all kinds of issues that come when someone passes away. But really what I wanted to talk about is, and at least in today's episode, is what, what are some of the concerns when someone, when a spouse passes away and making sure you have plenty of the remaining spouse has plenty of income and what are some things we can do about it? But one of the things I see is an income gap, right, Ben, where you know, maybe you were used to getting two Social Security payments. Maybe you're, let's use in this case, an example of a husband predeceasing the wife. Maybe the husband had a pension as well. And then your husband passes away and all of a sudden now you're down to one Social Security payment. And it's possible you might even lose that pension depending on how the pension was structured or the pension could possibly be reduced. So something to be really aware of in advance as long, as much as possible and, you know, we deal this, the time to deal with this is, you know, obviously well in advance when you're making the, some of these decisions about like pensions. Uh, we had a gentleman in here the other day who's um, was laid off after a long time at a company. He's got a pension. He's got to make some decisions 
about how he's going to take that. Is he going to take it over his life, over a joint life with his spouse? So that's one, once that's one uh, concern that we have that we see with people when a spouse passes away and that's a potential loss of income. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest fear too, right? Is, is, you know, you don't have that money coming in anymore and, and how are you going to fill that, that gap? So we'll talk about that in just a second. But the other big change that happens too is on the tax side, right? So you all of a sudden become a single filer and that might not seem like a big deal, but it can have a pretty big impact, can it? Yeah, it's definitely something to be cognizant of because yes, all of a sudden, you know, for example, in 2023, the maximum way income for the 22% tax bracket is $190,750 for a joint couple. For a single, it's 95375 So it's a huge difference. So if you have a year, if your spouse dies, say in 2023, you really got that. That's the final year you're going to be able to file jointly. It also affects your standard deduction because your standard deduction right now for a married couple is 27700 For a single person, it's only 13850 Yeah. Now you get you get a little bit more if you're 65 or older, but still you lose some of that standard deduction as well. So that can have a big impact. Uh, it may cause you, for example, depending on your income, now all of a sudden you're we've talked about this in the past, the IRMA, yeah. the Medicare tax. It's not really a tax, it's a it's it really is a tax disguised as but your premium that you pay for Medicare Part, part B is based on income and it's lower thresholds for single folks than it is for joint. So um, one idea, if you have a spouse that dies in a, in a, in a year is to do everything you can to take advantage of that higher tax bracket or uh, the larger uh, dollar amounts that you can have an in income. And then because the next year you're going to lose that capability. So I think it's a pretty big deal. At least it's something to be cognizant of. All right, let's talk about the income gap then again and talk about some planning strategies and, and some things that you do ahead of time. Like, like you said, you, you get ahead of this. It's something you can actually think about and plan for, although you don't know the specifics and you don't know, you know when something might happen, but being prepared for this event that if it does happen, you're all ready for it. So what are some of the things you're doing with clients, Wade, in order to, to kind of help close that income gap up? Well, one of the best tools, and this is going to come as no shocker, I don't think to anyone listening, is life insurance is a great, obviously, the reason life insurance in its most pure form was created was for income replacement. Now, you know, a lot of people have life insurance that maybe it was term insurance, and by the time they reach a certain age, that insurance is gone. Um, I, I would make the case that, you know, sometimes it's nice to have some permanent insurance, you know, even if your spouse isn't working anymore. Because we like we just talked about, there's a possibility, for sure, one of your Social Security payments uh, could go down. So life insurance is one thing to consider and something you can do the earlier the better. And p- potentially you look at having some kind of or a small amount of permanent insurance that stays with you beyond a certain term. Another way to protect on the income gap is to delay Social Security payments. So let me give an example. If you take Social Security at your full retirement age, say it's $2,300 a month, by waiting till age 70, you'll get an 8% increase in your benefit, which is nice. But it's also super important for your spouse because when you die, they're going to get the higher of your benefit or theirs 
And if you waited to take it till age 70, your benefit's going to be that much higher. So that's another way to help bridge the income gap. Uh, I see that a lot with men who have delayed their Social Security till as high as age 70. And when they pass away, their spouse gets that much higher benefit. There's a couple of ideas there. Let's talk about pensions. Now, we don't, okay. Ben, we don't see a lot of pensions anymore. Like yeah. I just had a young, a relatively young guy my age, so he's super young, come in who's got a pension. But these are, as we've talked about on the show many times, these are long, those aren't as around as much, but they're still around, especially for government folks, people that worked in government or policemen, firemen, people like that. But when you go to make your spousal or your election on your payment for your pension, you've got to make a decision many times. Should I take it as a life only? Should I take it life with 100%? So if I die, my wife gets 100%. Should I take it for half? And that's where having a good financial plan comes into play. So you can run different scenarios, which makes the most sense. Another concept that sometimes people will do is something called pension maximization. That's where you a person might choose to take the single payment only on their pension where it just pays their life only and if they pass away the money's gone, but they but they have a separate life insurance policy on the side that would pay if they were to die prematurely. You follow me on that? Yeah. So that we call that pension maximization. It's just a way to maybe maximize the payments but still have some protection in place due to premature death. So there's some things you can do right there. I mean, obviously, the most obvious one is to have a portfolio, that a sufficient portfolio so that you can replace income. But replacing some of the guaranteed income like Social Security and pensions, things like that, there are some things you can do. I'd say the last one would be uh, long-term care Um having some long-term care insurance. And there's a lot, we've talked about this, but I'm going to write this down. I said this last time, okay. a good, it'd be a good idea to do a episode on long-term care and some of the new products that are available, new ways to get long-term care. There's annuity-based products, ins- life insurance-based products. But having some long-term care as well, well, could possibly bridge that income gap because, and it's typically women the man dies, the woman's there, and then she needs some kind of long-term care. Mm-hmm. Having that some insurance in place can help bridge that gap. So those are just a few ideas that you can do now before you know you get to that point and make sure you're in a better spot. If you want to get in touch with Wade and go through these strategies, again, the best way to do it, uh, chatwithwade.com, a new um, That's right. website set up to get on Wade's calendar. Very easy to find a time that fits with your schedule and Wade's boat, just go to chatwithwade.com. All right, let's look beyond that, Wade, to um, kids and grandkids. So let's say the spouse is taken care of and you kind of got that sorted out. What are the common mistakes you see when it comes to looking beyond this to the next generation or two? Well, I'd say one of the important things to do after the death of a spouse is to then review your own estate plan to make sure that the plan is in good order because you know now things have changed. And you want to make sure that your documents properly reflect that. For example, your spouse, your husband might have been, he or she might have been your power of attorney. And even if you had a backup like a child, it would make sense to refresh those documents. You're, you may or may not need to redo your will. It just depends. But it's a good, this is a perfect opportunity to review everything, make sure it's in good shape. And then I would say making sure that you communicate 
to your heirs and your and all that, just to make sure that everybody at least is aware of where things are, how things are set up. And then the, the, another thing to do is to then review your beneficiary designations. You might have had, you know, it's very possible you had your spouse listed as your primary beneficiary, and then you just had nothing else beyond that. So now, and you may have had contingents listed on there, but lots of people don't. So make sure you review all those beneficiary designations to make sure they're accurate and up to date so that you don't create more work for your heirs. And those are some of the biggest ones I see. It's just not updating things, not communicating, and just on those beneficiary designations, making sure they're clear and up to date. So those are some things that I would consider. Another one that you might consider at least looking at, let's say you had just a straight up will. And when your husband died, in this case, you didn't really have any probate needs. Maybe you had to probate your house. You might consider at that point changing to a living trust just to avoid probate for your for your remaining heirs. That's something we can talk about pros and cons with a qualified estate planning attorney. But that's that's another thing I see is a lot of times after the death of the first spouse, it's pretty straightforward, not that difficult. But after the second death, that's where things can get a little bit more complicated. Well, let's finish out the conversation then with the question I know that comes in quite a bit when, when you talk about preserving family wealth and the different uh, ways to do that. Trusts come up quite a bit. What's your take on a trust and, and how that plays into pl- the process? Well, I mean, it's kind of like I was mentioning earlier. The living trust is a great way to do it. Uh, I think what you're probably talking about when you bring up trust is some of the more sophisticated, mm-hmm. irrevocable trust planning and things like that. And I would say that would require a little bit more in-depth discussion. Sometimes people do that for Medicaid planning and things like that. And that's where you really need to get a qualified attorney in. The kind of trust that I was talking about earlier is a, is a revocable living trust, and that's relatively straightforward. It's not really there designed to preserve wealth as, as far as protection from creditors and things like that, or even estate taxes. It's really for ease of management, of disposition of your estate, either while you're living or at death. Mm-hmm. The the trust, like irrevocable trust planning and things like that, that's really not something that you just do without a lot of thought and making sure really you get competent, qualified advice. If, now, we obviously have done that for folks and have worked with them, but that would be something I would say requires a good, solid meeting, if you will. Yeah. Well, the best way to set up a meeting, again, go to chatwithwade.com. You'll pull up Wade's calendar, find a time that works for you. Go ahead and enter your information, lock it up, and then that press will, process will start. And Wade, for anybody that does that, what will what will happen after they pick that time with you? Well, what happens when they go to chatwithwade.com is they pick a time, then they'll get about 25,000 emails confirming the appointment. Uh, they won't have any, there won't be any mistake as when it, when the appointment is and they'll get, they'll get, it'll show up, they'll get an invite. They can accept it. There'll be a zoom link on there. Let's click on the link. I'll be there ready to talk. Awesome. Again, chatwithwade.com. And now this month's kingdom minute, where we learn what the Bible says about managing money and how it applies to your life. All right, time now, Wade, for our Kingdom Minute. Awesome. So today I wanted to talk about, hey, Ben, have you ever heard that saying, he's got the Midas touch? I have heard that, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a compliment that a lot of times will people will give out in business. Um, you know, that guy's got the Midas touch, mm-hmm. and it, it originates Greek mythology, and it belonged to King Midas, who through like a genie like God is granted one wish, and his wish was that everything he touched would turn to gold, giving him unlimited wealth. Okay, so but today what we talk about is hey, someone who turns everything they do into gold, everything they do seems to be successful. But King Midas' story doesn't end there. As a king goes about turning twigs and roses into gold, he returns to his palace for a meal. There, he, he his thrill turns to dread as his golden touch prevents him from eating or drinking. And then the pinnacle of the story occurs when the king touches his own daughter and realizes he wished for something that would become his own demise. So fortunately for Midas, his new talent is reversible. So hence the irony of the compliment. Modern business culture views the golden touch to be a desirable skill, right? We, mm-hmm. we want that touch. But that viewpoint omits the part of the story where that very skill would lead to Midas' starvation, apart from the golden touch being reversed. So it would be much more fitting if the Midas touch were a warning. Wealth and success can be a blessing, but the love of it can be deadly. And we've talked about this a bunch in different Kingdom Minutes. First Timothy 6, 9-10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So it's important to point out here that Paul doesn't say money is a root of all kinds of evil, which we've talked about many times, but rather the love of money. So money can be a blessing and it can be used for many good things, It can be used for yourself, your family, for the enjoyment of travel, entertainment, for generous giving to those in need, ministry work, things like that. It can be used as capital for a business to start or grow by adding new products or services. It can provide employment and job satisfaction to the community and return to shareholders. So really, and if you think about it, the generous and business use of money provides a great opportunity to expand the spread of the gospel as well. I mean, we've Chessman Wealth, we've been able to do that here through our work with Compassion International. But there are also some not-so-good uses of money. They can be used poorly, right? Indulgences that would bring shame to ourselves and to God, that's pretty easy. But the less obvious, maybe possibly just as dangerous, is how money can allow us to feel self-sufficient and give us a false sense of control over our lives. When I'm talking to somebody about their financial plan, Ben, and we go over the net worth statement, we say, here's your net worth. Many times I'll say, hey, I want to show you your net worth, everything you own minus what you owe, but don't mistake this for your self-worth, right? So as we accumulate wealth, we not only take care of our needs, but also many of our wants. So in and of itself, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But in this, there is a tendency to forget who the provider really is. So that's what I wanted to say today. I hope everyone out there has the Midas touch, but for the right reasons. Right. Always for the right reasons. All right. Well, thank you for that perspective, Wade. As always, we try to put a biblical spin on our financial conversations every single episode. Well, I appreciate you listening to this episode of the Monday Night Podcast. Again, very difficult conversation to have, but one that uh, you can plan for in advance and make that that emotional time uh, a little bit easier when and if it ever happens to you. So, Wade, thanks for your time, as always. And I encourage you to visit chessmanwealth.com or if you just want to talk with Wade, set up a meeting, just go to chatwithwade.com. Wade, I hope you have a good week. You too, man.
The opinions voiced in Money Night with Wade Chessman are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Monday night are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor.